Golden Shores podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Sophie Martin. She's also known as the infertile midwife, and she shares her experience with us about pregnancy after loss. Here's our chat. Welcome, Sophie Martin, to our Golden Shores podcast. We are so delighted to have you here. And I think I want to start, Sophie, by saying that over the last couple of days I have read your book in pretty much one sitting I think so I've inhaled your book I have felt so incredibly it's really always a bit naff when people say I felt very moved by something I've actually cried like proper tears in in quite a few places it's really resonated so much at certain points with my own journey I think you have captured the experience of you know longer longer trying journey so well and I also want to say I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for everything that you went through to write that book and it felt like a privilege to actually be able to read it and it meant really meant something to me that someone saw me if that makes sense so thank you I I really want to say a massive thank you to you how has it been the last few weeks with this amazing book out in the world what's it been like yeah it's been it's been really very not like my normal life shall we say um but it's been amazing and thank you so much for saying you know all those lovely things about the book and that I think was kind of why I wrote it really because I felt so alone at points and I really appreciated hearing what other people have been through it just really helped me and that's kind of why I wanted to share and also because um I feel like we did have quite a dramatic journey as well and I feel like it encompassed so much that it would speak to lots of people who hadn't necessarily had all of the same experiences but there were so many little bits that I felt that people would probably be able to relate to yeah so so much so because it's it's a very lonely place to be and I think your book is written in a particular tone that is so beautifully accessible and so like just so real yeah yeah, it's, it's incredible and I will definitely be recommending it to lots of people so thank you um and I think one of the reasons we really wanted to have you with us to, to ask you some things and to talk about things with you is, as you know, we, me and Hannah are running this course, this, this course for people that are pregnant, quite often after long journeys, supporting them with their pregnancy, but really trying to gently look towards birth and what comes after. Because for me, that felt like such a missing part of my experience because I just couldn't. I was holding on for dear life so I couldn't really think about any of those things and I think because you are with your midwifery experience as well and having had that experience of being pregnant after such like a, a ride really we was we wanted to hear what you would say to some of the people we're working with now who are actually really like there's lots of different stages of people that we work with. So in the first instance, and I think something you speak to so so clearly in the book is that getting to the 12-week mark, those early days, which just feels so, so surreal. So we just wondered if you could kind of, if we could kind of chapter out some speaking to some of the, the places that people that are with us that they're at. Anything that you would say to them as you and also as a midwife in that kind of early stage? I think as a midwife, I would say um, at your booking appointment, make sure that you let your midwife know um, because we do see loads of people who are having IVF pregnancies and actually there are a lot of people who are just completely fine with it. Um, But then there are obviously people who 
that fertility journey has significantly impacted their now onward experience of pregnancy. And so if you don't tell your midwife how you're feeling, we're actually not mind readers. Um, and so it is really important to be open and honest and say, look, I'm really struggling. I think it's very common for people to struggle for the first trimester anyway, regardless of whether you had um, IVF or not. And that's because everyone knows that you know there's a higher chance of miscarriage in the first trimester that's not a secret you know everyone knows that everyone is kind of a bit apprehensive about that so I think in general the first trimester it can be quite anxiety inducing especially because people don't tell other people that they're pregnant yeah so that's mm -hmm. why you haven't got that support network and I think people often they'll tell like parents or siblings or like a couple of close people but again it's still very much like hush hush like and so that's why it's such a difficult time, I think. So yeah, as a midwife, I would say just tell your tell your midwife how you're feeling if you're if you're really struggling. And um, and then as a patient, I would say you just have to take it day by day. You know, there's literally no point, and this is actually just advice for the whole pregnancy. Um, you just have to take it day by day because there's no point looking further ahead than you need to because you're just going to worry yourself. And actually, sometimes you need to take it hour by hour if you're really struggling and um, but just break it down into really manageable chunks yeah there's so many things that you wrote about in that stage where I thought yes like I spent obsessive amounts of time on the miscarriage calculator oh my gosh <laughs> that website I wish I'd never heard of it but I would check so, it several yeah. times a day the result was yeah. not going to change from the morning but I just needed to check it mm. and that that reassurance seeking is so real and yeah, so I think, and I, I really loved what you said about tell anyone you like at any time you like, and this kind of debunking the 12 week, it's kind of a mythology, isn't it? And I thought that was really quite powerful, you know? So yeah, and, and I think it can feel really vulnerable to share your story, can't it? You're booking an appointment. The whole booking in appointment for me just felt like a surreal event in itself. So yeah, I think that's that's important. Um beyond that then like we're kind of going one of the things we find is we, we talked about something this week called the gap and the gap for me is what I wish I had given myself couldn't give myself things like baby showers things like looking ahead for birth I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about breastfeeding I, didn't, I, I went into it completely blindfolded really and yet we're trying to offer, we know we know what we want to offer people in a way of very gently looking at birth and the very nuanced, tender, we know this is really tough. Because at the same time, I really wish that I had had that. I just wonder if there's anything that you could speak to in terms of people that might be listening to this now who are second, third trimester and thinking, I can't think about what comes next. I think that's quite tough because I very much did not want to think about birth, but at the same time, I kind of knew quite a lot about birth anyway so I didn't need to learn anything new that I didn't already know so for me it was very much like I already know about that so I'm just going to think about that on the day yeah. whereas I would really encourage people to do it in a way that feels safe for them so it might be that you don't want to go to antenatal classes because you don't want to sit in a room full of 10 couples who are all going to talk about how you know they fell pregnant on the first try because that just might not be for you or it might feel it might feel very un it might just feel very uncomfortable you might not want to share that this is an IVF pregnancy or you might feel like an imposter or whatever those reasons are but there's loads of really good resources that you can access not in that setting so there's like virtual antenatal classes now where you can 
do it on zoom there's ones where you can just download the whole course and it's not even like it's not even interactive if that's not really your thing like you can just watch videos as and when they feel right for you so there's lots of ways of doing it if classes are not your thing but I do think that anti-education is just so 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 important because actually even though it might feel a bit jarring and this is what I told myself when I was pregnant either way this baby was going to have to come out so even if it was not the happy ending that I wanted the baby would have to come out somehow and actually you need to learn about how baby is going to come out of you yeah yeah and it's it's so hard isn't it to imagine it or I think I think something that you've also spoken about in the book that we've spoken about a lot is this notion of jinxing like if I actually commit to doing these things whatever that is whether it's buying something whether it's telling somebody whether it's buying that antenatal course joining that group there's something and some of the women that we work with spoken that I'm working with said well it's not it is jinx I do worry about jinxing it but also I worry about having to undo something that I've done like take something back and I remember really like putting the receipts really keeping my receipts that kind of just in case stage and it's really hard to get past that isn't it I think but at the same time I think I would have been a better position had I looked at all of that stuff a bit better yeah again I I think I approach it quite practically and so uh, yeah I thought try to think about the very bare minimum things as I said like if, if I gave birth I was going to give birth either way because the baby had to come out. So I just was like, okay, so the things that I will need for that is pads. I'm going to need, you know, all the practical things. They were things that felt manageable at the time. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to buy any nursery furniture. I didn't want to buy a pram. I didn't want to do any of those things. And then when we did buy them, I just left them in the boxes in the hallway for ages um, because I didn't want to put them up. Um, In fact, I didn't even want them in the house, but my husband said we had to. Um, so I just did the things that really felt manageable at the time. And then when it became like very inevitable that perhaps we were going to have a baby, then there was a big rush right at the end. Yeah. Hannah, have you got, I know you've got things that you wanted to ask. I've got loads of questions, Sophie. I could just ask you. Sophie, thanks so much for being here. I think what might be really helpful for people listening who haven't read the book or who haven't heard you on um, one of your other other amazing podcast interviews would be to hear a little bit about your story and going, getting you into that position to write the book. Would you be happy to share a little bit? Yeah, so um, I'm back in 2016, I got married to my husband, um, and then we started trying for a baby the next year and quite quickly kind of realized that I just kind of felt that it wasn't going to happen for us and um, and it didn't. So we started IVF a year actually after we started trying for a baby because it turned out that my AMH was very low and um, but we weren't eligible for NHS funding. So we probably, probably, to go privately, we had saved enough to do one round. Um, and we were very fortunate. I mean, the round was terrible. I only had one embryo, but uh, uh, that one embryo turned into identical twins. Um, so we were like, could not could not believe that that would happen. It was just so un. Just things like that didn't happen to people like us. Um, and then 
very unfortunately when I was 21 weeks pregnant I went into labor with my twins so obviously that's very 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 early um before viability so we couldn't resuscitate them so very sadly they died after they were born um and then it was a bit of a journey after that so I ended up having retained placenta for 11 weeks had to have an operation that didn't work um and then realized that I'd had incompetent cervix and that was why I'd gone into labor so I had another operation um to fit a permanent stitch into my cervix then following that we went into lockdown and then following that I did five rounds of IVF oh, I did one before lockdown and then I did five rounds of IVF and and then fell pregnant with my son Percy who is now two and then since Percy I've done four more rounds of IVF which have all been unsuccessful so I'm on 11 rounds of IVF now so I feel like I am a bit of a pro at, um being infertile and then that was kind of what led to re- writing the book really because I felt like I'd been through the ringer yeah which you really have you know and um, oh the way that you wrote about it in the book and your boys so so beautiful and actually it really is so so touching and yeah, we're so, so grateful to have you here. And I know that people will, will be you know, listening to hear what you have to say. And I think you're in such a unique position, really, because you do have quite a power, you know, you have this powerful voice. You are so wonderful to listen to. And one of the things that I've heard you speak about before is this use of language. And that it's something I'm really passionate about is like the total inadequacy of language and also the, the words that are used that are just really outdated and horrible as well. And I just wondered if you want, if there's anything that you wanted to speak to about that kind of your advocacy for getting some of that changed and what's that like being a midwife, knowing that that language is still very much at play? Like even today, I did a study day at work today and we were um, to study day excuse me on um ctg so the machine with the belt so listen to the baby's heartbeat um and there was one bit that came up and it was about the uterus being irritated which can happen for various reasons but instead of actually saying the uterus being irritated we call it irritable uterus which really just i just feel like no one wants their uterus to be described as irritable because irritable doesn't mean that it's irritated irritable means that it's got the hump or like it's a bit grumpy Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing and it's funny how the language which should be the uterus is irritated like you know like yeah your skin can be irritated it's a bit kind of you know if you had like a rash you could be like oh the skin's a bit irritated um and I feel like no one would be particularly offended by saying oh my skin's a bit irritated but if you said I've got irritable skin or irritable the word irritable just isn't very pleasant and that's just like one tiny example that I encountered just today and there's actually loads in well probably in all of medicine but particularly in women's health and it is very problematic because there's something very emotional about having a baby and so if you're reduced to an organ and that organ is not named in a particularly pleasant way so you know you like irritable uterus or incompetent cervix it's it really affects your sense of self. Yeah, so much. I remember because I spent Sophie my entire third trimester in hospital with Vasa Previa. So I was on. Wow. Oh gosh. Had, yeah, not not great. I had an irritable uterus, so that was on my notes. But I also had what is that horrible phrase when you're over thirty five? Is it gravidas? Like 
to say that oh, you turn on um, Yeah, so advanced maternal age is what we would call it, but sometimes people refer to it as a geriatric pregnancy. So that was on my notes, and then underneath is irritable pregnancy. And then someone had written on my green notes, highly anxious, <laughs> like a big pen. And it was like, just looking at it, feeling really reduced to this. Yeah, kind of got my infertility history, and it's like, wow, I... I don't feel very represented here as a human being. I just feel I mean, like... quite frankly, if I had a Vasa Previa, I'd be pretty damn anxious as well. You know, like yeah. that's quite a reasonable thing to be worried about, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it really, really struck me the way that you speak about that. And, and language is so slow to evolve, isn't it? Like we've still got such a long way to go in terms of how that is. And just the way that infertility is talked about more generally, I think, is... It's hugely problematic, and I know you've spoken about. We only have to have a read the comment, the comments, don't we, to kind of get that sense of what what gets said and how it's perceived as unlike any other medical condition. Like it is quite different to if I had been diagnosed with diabetes, I would have been treated in a very different way by probably the entire wellness industry to how I was treated as somebody that had got infertility. Um, yeah, so. Thank you for speaking to that. Yeah. The thing that probably that Helen and I get asked more than anything else is around coping with anxiety in pregnancy. Helen was saying it was on her notes. That's the thing that gets spoken about more than anything else, probably by double the next thing. How, how did you find your mental health journey in your pregnancies? I mean, if you've read the book, you'll 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 understand that I was I was very very unwell when I was pregnant with Percy, um, and I mean, like very unwell. Like I did not leave my house. The only places I felt safe enough to go was to work because I worked in a hospital, um, or to my mum's house. I could not go any other places. Um, my family had basically like a little rotor of who was going to look after me because my husband was working in London, so like someone basically had to be on call to make sure that I did not have some sort of breakdown or need to go to hospital so it was very intense and uh, yeah I was yeah when I look back I was extremely unwell um, and loads of people asked me like well how did you get through the pregnancy I, I literally didn't like I feel like my family just dragged me there Um, I I don't have any tips on coping mechanisms because I did not cope um, but I have some tips from like a midwife point of view but like as a person I don't feel like I coped nothing helped it was hideous it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, although I would wish everyone has their, I hate the term, but rainbow baby, whatever. Um, but the actual process of being pregnant after loss is just unbelievably hideous. And so, But if you want to hear about it from a midwife point of view, please tell your midwife. Um, and the, the thing is where my problem was that I wasn't, I was rejected by perinatal services. And so mid midwives, we are not mental health experts. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog whining in the background. Um, so we're not we're not mental health practitioners. So although we do have a small amount of training in mental health, we're not experts in that. So we're not the best people to be dealing with people who are very unwell. So so although yes, I would say speak to your midwife. Actually, you're just really at the postcode lottery again of what services are provided in your area and where I was living at the time. The provision was pitiful yeah that's really hard because yeah. I'm in Manchester I was at St Mary's which is a really big hospital city centre hospital 
And I did actually have access to perinatal mental health because I was very, very unwell in, in, in the ways that you kind of speak. It is a very agonizing minute by minute experience sometimes, isn't it? Being inside that. And that, I find that really hard that that isn't going to, I didn't know until I read your book, I think, and listened to what you said, that that wasn't readily available to everybody. Um, yeah. And so I think support networks, I think are better now with finding other people that might be in your situation. Though I don't know necessarily whether that is always going to be the thing that people need. But yeah, I think it's really helpful just to hear that it wasn't okay, that you needed lots of help from your family and that it was hideous and that nothing worked. Because I think the wellness industry has a lot to answer for. I think there's a lot of things and it's like, do some breath work. Have you tried? Have you tried? Have you tried? And it's like, no, nothing is going to help me here. Like, this is an awful situation. <laughs> I need somebody to walk this journey with me. But there isn't necessarily like a two minute whatever that is going to be of any use to me. And I think that will be very comforting to hear um, mm. for people listening, because um, I know you've spoken a lot about how we speak to people who have been on this sort of um, who have had this sort of experience. And um, it's so important. And yeah, one of the things that's difficult is I am struggling and it's like, well, you know do you know that breathwork is there it's like yeah no breathwork's there but I need professional mental help 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 even so yeah I think that's really good to hear and people that you love and trust and mm. it is like minute by minute hanging off the edge of a cliff I think is how I felt and if someone had told me to get on my yoga mat like I can't I can't I can't even imagine like that's so far the bridge between me and being able to do that and I think that is something as a yoga teacher as a meditation as a breath work all those things like that bridge that sometimes that is not accessible so what we're going to do I think is really important to speak to because it's trauma isn't it and you're living through something that is you know a, a lived traumatic experience then I don't know I it makes me really sad that I mean, I say I had support. I got a weekly visit from somebody while I was on the ward. So, but I knew that even that, even knowing that that was that that perinatal midwife was going to come and help, to just talk to me, even if it was ten minutes. That was a bit of a lifeline for me. So it makes me really sad that that isn't accessible to everybody. Um, but the lottery of all of this is it's not fair, is I guess. Hmm. It also is slightly more complicated is that people choose to deliver outside of their local hospital. And so mental health, perinatal mental health services are provided by your local hospital. So it might be that your booking hospital has fantastic mental health services. But if you don't live in their catchment area, they cannot provide that for you. Um, and so because we live in quite a kind of mobile society where people are quite willing to drive to the hospital, that's not necessarily their closest. Mm. that's why services again can be quite disjointed yeah 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 are there anywhere that you would signpost people to like now that you you kind of have got you're talking about this and you're thinking about it I know there's some there's a few places that you mentioned at the back of the book but for anyone that's listening now that is in that place you know like I'm gonna don't anyone mention breathwork to me because I'm literally hanging on by by a fine thread 
is there anywhere that you would recommend that they go so I would I would say like really really push for a perinatal referral and also like the referrals only going to be accepted if the midwife really sells it and so you need to be honest with the midwife about what's happening to you because if you just tell the midwife I'm a little bit anxious the perinatal team aren't going to accept that referral so you have to be really honest so perhaps if I had turned around and said like I can't leave the house um I keep imagining my waters are breaking all the time I go to the toilet a billion times a day to check my underwear in fact I don't even go to the toilet I just pull, pull my pants down in my room because I'm so obsessed you know if I had mentioned all of those symptoms maybe perinatal would have accepted me so maybe it was my fault for not sharing exactly what was happening I don't know but I really think that if you because perinatal is the best service so if if you if you have to be honest and that is really tough like letting someone know how hard it is or how awful it is but if you don't tell the midwife she can't put in a good referral and so then it's never going to be accepted and I think I really understand why people are reticent to do that because my hesitation to say how bad, I mean, obviously, as soon as I was in hospital, it was very clear how bad things were because I was there and you could see. But before that, prior to me actually going into hospital, my reticence to be really honest about that was I didn't really know the implications of what that would mean after my baby was born. And I don't, I'd, I'd imagined all sorts of like scenarios of what having that perinatal mental health would mean to me on no basis. Like, that I would be extra monitored afterwards or that people might think I might not be able to parent properly. Is there anything that you could say to that as anyone's listening about what that means? If you do have that service, what that actually means for you? Because I know that that is something that some of my some of my women have worried about. So perinatal services are not interested in taking your baby away at all. That would be social services. And actual social services are not interested in taking your baby away either. Um, they they're all there to support you and actually like the ideal is to keep mum and baby together as much as possible um and yes it it means so we know that if you have antenatal anxiety or depression then actually those things can still linger into the postnatal period and so yes it does mean that you'd have extra support once your baby's born because we don't want to just leave behind dry once the baby's there so yes it does mean that that extra support would be there post-birth but that's not because we're doubting you as a mother it's because we know that once the baby's here that doesn't mean that everything's resolved and that actually having a newborn baby is really hard and so you've got all of the hormones all of the tiredness on top of what was already not very good mental health that's you know that's someone that needs their support yeah yeah I think that's really important for people to hear because we, we kind of imagine what it might mean without and then we were we don't access it. Um, and I did get extra health visitor visits. I did, but I actually needed them. So it's like that, the gap between what the worry of what I thought was going to happen and what happened. You know, I, I did actually need that. So I hope that is helpful to people. That's that you know anyone that's wondering what actually what does it mean if I go and say that I'm really struggling with this because it's it's so hard. It's so hard to say that sometimes outside the you know the confines of your own family so I think it goes back to that gap again as well doesn't it between what you expect it's going to feel like and what it actually feels like so admitting that it's feeling terrifying and you've got all these emotions that you weren't expecting because you just wanted to get to this point can feel really hard too so I think there's just so many things in the mix to be able to step back and think 
okay, I need some help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I think what's on the other side of those two lines sometimes can just feel so very different to what how it was ever so different to how I imagined it would be after years of waiting and it was like oh okay now I'm actually terrified that I'm going to stay here and also I feel really really unwell so it's such a it's such a mixed bag isn't it of what that experience can be like mm. yeah yeah is there anything else that you think would be really useful to say to anyone that's listening to this that's kind of found that's found this podcast that is pregnant after a really long wait or a long journey or a complicated journey uh, that maybe you would say even to yourself like is there anything that you could that you'd want to share like past ver- a past version of you gosh that's a good question um I mean I want to acknowledge that not everyone will feel as terrible as I did and that's absolutely fine as well like I would love for everyone not to feel how I did. Um, And it does end, maybe not straight away after the birth, but I feel like a much different person now than when I look back at the person that I was when I was pregnant. And in a way that's sometimes scary because I, I wouldn't really want to go back to that place. But also like, I did get through it and I'm really really proud of myself for that because I don't think unless you've lived through it people appreciate quite how awful it was and I'm very thankful to my family as well because I think they all realized like how hard it was and it was hard for them as well actually um and actually even as a midwife I don't think I fully appreciated how difficult it can be um and so in a way yeah, I'm, I'm quite thankful but yeah, but I'm also really proud that I got through it. I love that. Mm. You should be really proud, you know. And of everything that you've done since, like that book's gonna stay on my shelf, you know. That's it's huge. Um oh thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this a difficult listen or it's brought stuff up for you, please go and look at the show notes. We've put some links in there that can be helpful for you.